Hey guys, we are so excited to be in our third part of our faithful series. And man, the whole idea behind this is how do we trust a faithful God when we feel faithless, right? And circumstances, situations, everything that comes in contact with us, man, it's so easy to feel faithless, but we serve a faithful God who comes through no matter what. Uh, we read through the Bible, we see where he constantly comes through for his people, and man, uh, we wanna continue in this series where we're declaring, man, that God is faithful for you, for your family, no matter what you're going through in the midst of chaos right now, society and in the world, we know that our God is faithful. And what's even more impressive is that the storms of life don't dictate how God moves. And I remember uh, I was, we had a boxer in our church for a while and uh, we uh, would train with him every now and then. So uh, man, we would kind of not really spar cause like he would hit me one time and I would quit, right? But uh, we would just box a little bit every now and then. And I remember he was teaching me cause every time I would throw a punch, he would hit like, it was almost like he instantly could catch me back, right? And so um, I would throw a punch. So I would either try to like throw a punch and get out of there really quick. And that never really worked for me because every time I would take a step back, I would step right into his reach and he would hit me. Um, and if I stayed too close, he knew he just had the wherewithal on how to hit me when I was staying close. And so one of the things that he taught me during this, uh, like our training sessions, if you will, was how to pivot, right? And what he was showing me is if you'll, right after you throw a punch, if you'll keep one of your feet rooted, right? So like if you would stay, keep confidence on one of your feet, primarily your back foot, uh, or if you would pivot off your front foot and then root into your back foot, uh, you could throw a punch, stay close to the person that you're with, um, throw a punch. You could actually do better, not by getting all the way out of what you're in, but by just pivoting around your opponent, but staying close. Um, and you would actually see opportunities to continue fighting or continue looking for the punch you're trying to throw, if you will, uh, by staying close to your opponent, right? And uh, today I wanna talk to you about this idea of pivot over panic, right? When we get into situations and we get into chaos, like many of you are in right now, maybe not again, we've said this before, but maybe not even coronavirus. Like take that out of the equation for a second. Man, it could be anything. It could be a loss of a job. It could be a doctor's note that you didn't see coming. It could be one of your kids that's lost their mind, right? It could be the fact that you were on you were on track for this degree and now your college is shut down. Like It could be anything. So, man, yeah, coronavirus, but there's a ripple effect that comes off of this that, man, quite frankly, you could find yourself in a lot of positions of panic. And today I wanna to talk to you about what it looks like to pivot in the midst of that panic. Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is a verse we've been using a lot. It says, now faith is the confidence, man, confidence in what we hope for, right? And so when we put our confidence in what we hope for, well, what is that hope? Well, what we hope for is the assurance about the things we don't even see. And sometimes we're pivoting but we can't necessarily see what is gonna open up for us, right? So when we talk about this idea of pivoting, when we talk about this idea of, man, panic could ensue, but we're really gonna leverage our opportunity to pivot, we're looking for something that we don't even know is there as yet. But as we pivot, right, our view changes and the opportunities open up as long as we stay rooted on what we're pivoting around. And so, man, Hebrews 11.1 1 continues to be our scripture for this series, right? And, and we're gonna go to Matthew 14, which is the story. Um, and, and what we see happening early in Matthew 14 is John the Baptist is actually beheaded, right? So um, one of Jesus' uh, guys, like one of his crew is beheaded and uh, Jesus finds out about it. And obviously he is distraught, right? And so that's where we pick up in verse 13. When Jesus heard about what had happened, 
he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place, right? So Jesus goes by himself. He's like, man, I don't want to be dealing with this right now. Like, let me go away. And that kind of shows part of Jesus' humanity because he's both God and man, right? So he wants to go to a solitary place. So hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So when Jesus landed, he sees a large crowd, right? So I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus overwhelmed with his emotions and his thoughts because one of the guys that he loved, like that he was invested in, one of his dudes uh, just died, right? And so he needs to get to a solitary place, right? So he has in his mind, he's going somewhere. Well, he's going by himself. He wants to be alone. And when he gets to the place where he's going to be alone, guess what there is? A large crowd, right? So, uh, so, but then he had compassion on them. And what, you, what I want you to see right here is Jesus has an opportunity to do exactly what we're talking about. I don't know if panic would be the word that Jesus would use, but he did have an opportunity to be overwhelmed. He did have an opportunity to like, hey, this is not what I want to do right now. This is not what I have time for. But we don't see Jesus doing that at all. He pivots and had compassion on them, and he healed their sick, right? And so we see him coming out of this solitude. And, and, and what I want you to understand in the beginning of this message, and this is kind of the, the thread that runs all the way through what we're talking about today, is this one thing. Here's your first point, right? You can panic over your opposition or you can pivot to make it an opportunity, right? You can panic over your opposition. You can panic over the fact that things are going on you can't control. I'm a control freak. I know what that feels like, right? You can panic over the fact that uh, your kids, uh, you don't know when they're going to go back to school. You don't know when you're going to go back to work. You don't know how your income is going to look six months from now. You can panic over all that. You can panic over not knowing what the doctors are going to say about uh, something that showed up in your body a month ago. You can panic about not knowing how you're going to pay your bills, right? You can do that when you meet opposition or you can pivot to make it an opportunity. But here's the thing, not an opportunity for you, an opportunity for God to show up for you, right? And so, man, we pivot to make it an opportunity. So how do we do that? Well, that's what we want to talk about, because what does it mean to pivot? Well, quite frankly, a pivot requires you to keep yourself connected to the thing that can't move. So when I was talking about my buddy, show me the boxing thing, right? When you would pivot, you would move yourself, but you would keep one foot planted and you would move yourself. You would stay fixed on what's not moving and you would move yourself around the thing that doesn't move. Well, guess what doesn't change? Guess what doesn't move? Regardless of coronavirus or cancer or bills or whatever, you wanna know that doesn't change and who doesn't move? Jesus. So what would it look like for us to put our faith on the one that's not moving and move ourselves so that we can see our opposition differently rather than seeing God differently in the midst of our opposition? So we need to pivot differently. Matthew, we go back to the story, right? So we follow God and we, we see uh, what God is doing in the midst of our pivot. But we go back to the story, Matthew 14, and we're going to kind of move through this whole chapter almost today. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. In other words, like we're far from the towns, like it's getting late. Send the crowds away. Well, they wanted them to go to the villages and buy food for themselves, right? They were saying like, it's going to get crazy if they stay here without food. Well, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat again. Jesus is staring an opportunity to panic, right? There's this huge crowd. They're there for him, right? And he doesn't have anything to give them. He's healing sick, but he doesn't have food. He doesn't have anything to drink. He doesn't have any of those things. So what does he do, right? He has an opportunity to panic, 
but Jesus pivots, right? And so he says, give them something to eat, right? And so he comes to them and the disciples say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. So there's thousands. The Bible says about 5,000 plus women and children. So we don't know how many are there, right? He's saying, uh, we got way more people than we got food. Sounds like an opportunity to panic. I want you to think about it in your world. I got way more days that I need food versus the amount of food that I have in my pantry and I am not getting paid right now. I got way more days that I need to uh, have. I have way more days, weeks, months, years that I need to have with my family, but my doctor's report says that that may not happen. Well, guess what? I'm here to tell you that God can do amazing things when we pivot on who he is and we change how we're viewing our circumstances. So they bring the two fish, right? They bring the, the five loaves of bread and two fish. But I want you to understand what's happening right here because it's only when your basket is close to empty that you get to see the promise fulfilled. And what I mean by that is, is many of you have heard the story in 1 Kings 17 where the widow is with the prophet Elijah. Right? And to catch you up to speak, because maybe you haven't heard this story, Elijah's coming through the land and God sends him to this place and says, when you get there, there will be a woman and she'll feed you. And he goes, all right. So he's traveling, he gets there. Well, when he gets there, he doesn't find a woman abundant with food. He finds a woman who has just enough grain and water and oil to make the last little bit of bread because they're in a famine to make the last little bit they have so that her and her son can eat their last loaf of bread and die. That's literally what she tells the prophet. And he tells her, give to me what's, what God has sent me here to get, which is bread, which is food. If you'll give it to me, he'll make sure that your oil never runs dry and that your oats, your, your bread, your barley never goes empty. And so in faith, she does that. The face is the, it's, it's the confidence of what you hope for. In confidence, she's hoping that God would come through in that. But it's the assurance of things that you haven't seen yet. So she doesn't know that it's going to happen. She can't see how it's going to happen. But in assurance, she does what she's hoping for, which is faith. And she gives it to the prophet. And lo and behold, guess what happens? Her oil never runs dry. Her pantry never went empty. In obedience, she gave to God what he was asking for. And what happens is God supernaturally provided for her. But here's what I want you to understand is what they're talking about, right? Is it's only when your basket gets close to empty that you can see provision like that, right? Let's go to Matthew 14, 19 through 20. So taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. In other words, he broke it into pieces. Then he gave them to the disciples, right? And the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied. 5,000 people ate off of this fish and bread, and they were satisfied, right? Like, man, just that much. There are days I don't know if I would be satisfied, let alone 5,000 people, you know what I'm saying? Because your boy is hungry. I like food. Anyway, so, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. Think about it for a second. They picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. More was left over than what they started with. You see, Jesus doesn't have to panic. The disciples didn't have to panic about how this is going to happen because they were putting their faith on what is immovable, which is Jesus showing up on the scene. So they pick up more basketfuls than they left. And I remember uh, we've been in scenarios like this for, for my life. 
I remember me and Ashley, when Jabin was sick, there was a season where we didn't even know what was wrong yet. All the doctors were wrong. They were giving him wrong diagnosis. We, we, were, we traveled to Miami and Gainesville. We were buying plane tickets day before we're flying out to get a special test run that our insurance didn't cover. I mean, we were spending thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on stuff, uh, hospital bills that were climbing, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And I remember uh, in that season, you know, we were in a position where the bank account keeps going down and the bills keep going up. And I know many of you can really connect with that right now. Like bank account going down, right? Coronavirus got fired, got laid off, whatever. Bills keep coming though, right? And it was in that season that we said, you know, we're going to trust God. In other words, we're going to pivot. Right? And it was in that season that literally checks would show up in our mailbox. We had a friend uh, send us $5,000 multiple times. Like, hey, just feel like God wanted you, uh, wanted me to bless you with this. So here's uh, thousands of dollars, $5,000 happened. And then a couple months later, it would happen again. And we were so blown away because we were in the position where we didn't know how it was going to happen. But God kept coming through and making it happen. And, and what I want you to understand is that we could panic. Like we were in a position where we could panic because we could view our circumstances. The circumstances we were in, they seemed overwhelming. Like they seemed like we were in a place they looked so big. And honestly, if I was, if I was being super transparent with you, we were in this place where the circumstances seemed really big, but God seemed really small. Like, have you ever been in that place where you, whatever you're going through seems so big that it makes God seem small, Right. And we were in that place, but the thing is, is what was beautiful about it is uh, in the midst of God feeling small, in the midst of a giant shadow, which was our pain, which was our struggle, which is what we were going through, it was when we got to pivot ourselves. And what I want you to understand is we didn't change anything. The size of our circumstances didn't change and who God was didn't change. What changed is our viewpoint of how we were viewing our circumstances and how we were viewing God. You see, we changed how we were angling ourselves, And when we shifted from, we don't know how this is going to happen, we shifted into a place of saying, God's going to come through for us. And it made God become bigger and our circumstances become smaller in our viewpoint. When we changed our pivot, God got bigger. And so what we have to do is find our way into trusting him with faith, man. God can come through for you. God will come through for you. We know that it's true. But here's the beautiful part, and you can put this in your notes. There will always be more in the basket if you give God what's his. Here's the deal. God is the multiplier of insufficient gifts. God is the multiplier of insufficient gifts. Now, I don't mean insufficient as in your gift isn't good enough. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you feel that what you have isn't enough, God's the multiplier of what feels like it's not enough. God can take your just a couple loaves of bread and your fish. He can, he can take what seems minute, and he's the multiplier of what doesn't seem like is enough in your life. So maybe you have very little money in your bank account to pay your bills. Maybe you have very little faith in God right now. He can multiply those funds. He can make those go further. He can bring in finances when you had no idea where it was going to come from. He can multiply your faith. He can encourage you and bring joy to you when you don't know how that was going to happen. When he comes on the scene, he can multiply what seems insufficient in your life, what seems insignificant in your life. God can multiply that. And that's the beautiful part. And so we bring to him those things. And so we go back to Matthew 14, 22 through 25. 
And it says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. So after he feeds the multitude, he tells the disciples, you guys get on the boat and go over there. And he dismissed the crowds. In other words, y'all go home. We fed you. We healed you. Y'all going to go home. The disciples he sent on the boat and he actually climbs a mountain to pray. And then the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves. In other words, a storm was hitting and they were having a hard time. They were wrestling because the wind was against it, right? And here's the thing I want you to see. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, right? And what I want you to understand there is shortly before dawn. In other words, he sent them out before night fell. And shortly before the sun is rising, he's going out to meet them. In other words, they've been fighting these waves for hours. Some of the scholars would even suggest they've been fighting these waves for eight to nine hours. You see, uh, the sea that they were on, they only had at the most about 12 miles to go on the water. And they had nine hours of fighting and they weren't even close yet. Scholars say they were maybe halfway. So I want you to think about it. They had, they, what would usually take them a couple to a few hours, they had been wrestling for nine hours and only made halfway. That means it was tense. It was a lot. It was a struggle for them to, to make it through, right? And so as they're going, they find themselves wrestling. And I know that many of you probably find yourself in a similar spot. You've been going and going and going. And, and quite frankly, some of you are even saying like, I feel like Jesus sent us here. Like, I feel like God brought me to this place and now I'm struggling. Well, guess what? He sent the disciples onto the water that they were going to wrestle with. What if God brought you to this job, knowing what was gonna happen and knew that you may wrestle, but he had a solution for what you are wrestling with? Because that's the God we serve. And so he comes on the scene, and so they're wrestling. And here's what I want you to understand, because this is where the disciples found themselves, and this is where we find ourselves. Faith is the hinge point for you to pivot. Faith is the hinge point. What do I mean by that? Faith is the thing that you put your foot on, and you use that as the angle. You use that to change your viewpoint, right? Faith is the hinge point for you to pivot. So faith helps you see things differently. In other words, things may not change, but you have to change how you see things, right? So what you see may never change, but faith can change how you see what you see. And so faith comes on the scene and that's what we have to use to pivot, right? Here's the thing that I want you to understand. Panic says, I don't know if God will. Panic says, I don't, I don't know if God will come through. I don't know if he's going to help me. I don't know if he's going to carry me. I don't know if he's going to show up in this. Panic says, I don't know if God will. But faith, faith says, I don't know how, but I know God will. And I want you to understand something. You know what changes between these two? Nothing. Your circumstance haven't changed. Your situation hasn't changed. Your struggle hasn't changed. You know what has changed? Pivot. When panic says, I don't know how God's going to do this, faith says, I don't know how, but I know he will. There's been seasons in my life why I told God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know you're going to do it. And for some of us, that's where we have to find ourselves. I don't know how, but I know we will. I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know he'll come through. Right. And so we have to understand the difference between panic and faith. And so our faith has to be immovable. The strong place that we use to change our position from panicking to pivoting. 
right? So Hebrews 11.1, 1, go back to that. What does it say? Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. In other words, nothing's changed. The assurance about what we do not see. Don't see it yet. I don't know how, but I know God will. And I just want you to say that with me right now. I don't know how, but I know God will. One more time. I don't know how, but I know God will. And I want you to just bring that into your world. I want you to write it down. I want you to keep that somewhere. I don't know how, but I know God will. And let that be an assurance to your faith, your daily walk with the Lord. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know God will. What's also special about the disciples and, and them being on the water, right, and they're, and they're fighting against it, is when Jesus shows up on the scene, right? You see, Jesus shows up shortly before dawn. And in some of the translations, it says in the last watch or in the fourth watch, which is the last segment of time before the sun rises again. In other words, could Jesus have seen them struggling in the first watch? Yeah. Could he have seen them struggling like in the first three hours of fighting with the waves? Yeah. Could he have shown up maybe during the second three hours they were fighting with the waves, right? Like, could he have showed up maybe like on hour four or five? Yeah. But he waited till shortly before dawn. But why? Well, there's a number of things that people guess at. Now, none of us know the mind of God, but there's a great assumption here that they would assume that the disciples needed to have their faith inspired. These are the guys that walk with Jesus. And many would suggest that they needed to still recognize how badly they needed Jesus. Even though they walk with Jesus, they did miracles next to Jesus, and they watched Jesus do miracles next to them. One would suggest that they still needed to understand and have their faith inspired. And here's what I want you to understand. I want you to grab a hold of this truth because it is so true for us. That just because God doesn't show up in your first watch doesn't mean he's not going to show up in the last watch. Hear me for a second. Just because Jesus hasn't come up when you thought he should come, just because Jesus hadn't stepped on the scene when you thought he should step on the scene, just because he didn't show up in the time frame that you wanted him to show up doesn't mean he's not showing up. It means he's going to show up in the timing that he has set aside. He is watching you. He is caring for you. He is with you. He is passionately watching, pursuing. He is observing. He is even holding you when you don't even know it. The fact that you wake up today and can still lean on Jesus Jesus is him showing up to give you the assurance that you can lean on Jesus. When God comes on the scene, hear me, he is constantly holding his children. He is here for you and you can come to him. And even though it may feel like you are getting into the areas of time where things are running out, time is running out, your pantry is running out, your oil is running dry, like we talked about with the widow, it doesn't mean that God can't provide. It means that he's going to show you what it looks like when he performs a miracle when he does provide. Man, God comes through every time. And so it's the confidence of what we hope for, right? With the evidence of the things that we don't yet see. So let's go back to Matthew 14, 28, because this is where I think it gets real for some of us. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. So Peter, of course, he's always speaking up before everybody else, getting himself in trouble. So Jesus says, come. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked in the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, I want you to think about this for a second. Peter just watched Jesus feed thousands of people with not enough. Jesus has, Peter has walked with Jesus, watched him heal the sick. Matter of fact, Peter is walking on water 
to Jesus while Jesus is walking on water. If there is anybody in the Bible that didn't need more evidence of how powerful Jesus was, it's Peter, right? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, here's where I think we really get into what all of us deal with. Because all of us would be honest and say that there are things in our life that it doesn't matter how many times we can see where Jesus came through and how he came through and how he provided, it's hard not to see how things could get. It's hard not to see how those winds of our life blow. It's hard not to see. Matter of fact, I would even say it like this. Here's the question I have for you. What is the wind in your life? What is it in your life? What is, what is the circumstance? What is the pain? What is the struggle? That it doesn't matter how good God has been to you, that thing can blind you to how great Jesus is. It can blind you to the fact that Jesus has come through for you every other time and he will this time. It can cause you to doubt. Just like Peter walking on the water, what is it in your life that because God hasn't come through the way you wanted to or in the timing that you wanted him to, it could cause you to doubt whether or not God's gonna come through this time. What is the wind that is so big for you that it takes your focus off of God and puts it onto that thing? What is the wind? Because whatever that wind is, is the thing you need to pivot. Whatever that wind is, that's the opposition that you need to use faith to turn into an opportunity, to watch God come through for you in such a powerful way. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on this, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Then we go to Matthew 14, we finish up that chapter. He says this, immediately, Peter starts to sink. He put his eyes on the wind, he starts to fall into the water, where a lot of us find ourselves, but this is the best part. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then, and here's what I want you to understand, those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. And here's the thing that I want you to grab a hold of today, is what storms are you going through that when God faithfully pulls you through them, the people around you are gonna worship God saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Because here's what I want you to know. God is faithful to walk us, or to walk to us on faithless waters. When you run into circumstances where the waters seem too bad, where the wind seems too big, where the storm seems too strong, God is faithful to walk to us on those faithless waters, those waters where we feel faithless, where we feel like God's not there, where we feel like he's not enough. And in the most vivid detail, Peter had seen God come through so many times, but yet in the midst of that storm, failed to look at the one who could pull him through no matter what. And today, maybe you're finding yourself in that spot. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been coronavirus or again, anything else, man. Maybe there's just some things that you are needing God to help pull you through. Maybe there's a wind in your life that you need to pivot around. I'm here to tell you today that God is bigger than, better than, greater than, and he has already defeated anything that would come into your life. 
So though you may feel like you're in the last hour, though you may feel like you're in the fourth watch, though you may feel like your time is running out, that your barrel is running dry, that your pantry is going empty, that your bills are increasing and your bank account is running empty, though you may feel like you are in those positions, I'm here to tell you today that God is faithful in those seasons. And it's in those seasons where it looks like there's no way you could get your way out that God shows up. And when he shows up, he gets all the glory for the miracle in your life. You see, the Bible says that for all of us, We've, we've messed up, we've sinned, we've blown it. But today, if you need Jesus in your life, you need him to forgive you of your sins, and you wanna be saved today. You want an eternity in heaven with Jesus. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. And today, if you want Jesus to give you a fresh start, your sins wiped away and a new beginning, then I wanna ask you to pray this prayer. But this prayer doesn't make you saved. What makes you saved, the Bible says, is putting your faith in Jesus, that when he died on the cross for you, and then he resurrected three days later from the dead, that he defeated the sin and death in your life, and he's given you a new life. And so your faith in Jesus alone is what makes you saved, but we're gonna pray a prayer together. So let's pray it. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me clean, make me pure, and make me whole. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. So wash away my sins. Give me a clean start, a new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, listen, we're celebrating with you today. Listen, we would love to know who you are. So if you're new with TC, man, please make sure that you click on connect. Uh, if you're watching right now, some of our people will be dropping links. Our team is dropping links in the chats right now. Uh, you can click on the connect link to fill out a connect card. We would love to know who you are. If you prayed that prayer today and Jesus has given you a fresh start in a new, new beginning, we would love to know who you are as well there. You can fill out the connect card as well. And we would love to connect with you there. And before I send it back to our campus hosts, I do wanna let you know uh, that man, we are so appreciative of how your generosity is helping helping continue what the gospel is doing in people's lives. And so as we're partnering with the healthcare system right now to bring uh, help and emotional support and even spiritual support to our nurses and doctors, we have a whole team that's doing that. And your generosity, what you're giving right now is making that possible. And so even though you don't see us in a building on Sunday mornings, I wanna let you know that giving to TC is still helping ministry happen. It's helping us feed families. It's helping us provide emotional support for the nurses and doctors during this crazy season. And so today, if you want to give, man, make sure you connect with us uh, by giving at uh, mytc.life or you can go to transformationchurch.com and you can click on giving right there. And right, man, all of that is helping move the kingdom forward because we still have work to do in the kingdom of God. And your generosity is making that possible. So thank you so much. I'm so